So, diving straight into it, what I'm going to be preaching about tonight is relying on God and the importance of relying on God. And the verse that I'm going to be focusing on, in, on is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. So if you've got your devices or your Bibles, you can head over there so long. And this is a topic that I have definitely have seen at work in my own life, and so it's something I'm very passionate about. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be able to preach here for my first time. So, 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. What I'm going to be doing for you tonight is we are going to be examining the lives of two Old Testament kings. We're going to see how they relied on God and what the end effect of relying on God was. And from there, we're going to draw out application. We're going to see how we can apply this to our lives. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. It goes something like this. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. So, due to the nature of this verse, because it's such an encouraging verse, we tend to share it with people. We, we go and encourage our friends over WhatsApp and social media. We hang it around our houses. But I find that so many people don't actually know the real context of this verse. They don't know where it comes from. And this verse was spoken to a king in the Old Testament by the name of King Asa. And if you go back just one chapter, you'll see that King Asa was actually a really good king, which was rare in those times. Often the Old Testament kings would stray from God, and they would worship pagan idols rather than God. But quite early on in King Asa's life, something spectacular happened. He, he was met with some adversary. Some Ethiopians and Libyans outnumbered him on the battlefield, and he would have died. And in his distress, he's outnumbered three to one by these Ethiopians and Libyans. He cries out to God, and he prays. He asks like this. He says, O oh Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. And as he's coming back into his kingdom, sorry, before that, um, God comes through for them in a miraculous way, and he drives out the enemy before him. And as he's coming back into his kingdom, a prophet visits King Asa, and he says, you know that you shouldn't have won that war. You know that it was only because you relied on God that you won. And this prophet then reminds him that Judah has been without God for quite a long time. And the reason for this is because they had rejected God. They had all chosen to go off in their own direction and worship these idols rather than God. And because of that, there was lots of wars, the land had no peace, and the land was not in a good state. But the prophet goes and affirms King Asa, he reminds him. He says that if you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. But if you forsake God, then God will also forsake you. The prophet goes on to say in chapter 15, verse 7, But you, take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And so straight away, King Asa goes and he sets to work. And he goes throughout the whole land and he purges the land of all the idols and all the, the pagan things that they used to worship, the Baals, the Ashtoreths, the Molochs, all of the pagan idols. He completely destroyed and got rid of them. And while he's busy doing that, he goes and he rebuilds the altar to the Lord. And he gathers his whole kingdom before him and he says, here today, we are going to enter into a covenant with the Lord. We are going to commit ourselves to him that we are going to worship him and love him with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And anybody who wouldn't would be put to death. We are told that he even removes his own queen mother from, his own mother from being the queen mother of the state because she had made a detestable image to Asherah. And so here we can see that Asa was making a very powerful statement that when his mother was saying one thing and God was commanding another, he would completely disregard his parents and follow God. 
He was relying wholeheartedly on God. And after these massive reforms, God in his goodness goes and rewards King Asa with 35 years of peace, where there were no wars, no, no famine, no drought. It was a great time to be in the land of Judah. But the story doesn't end there. Look at how chapter 16 starts. It says, In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah. And so all of a sudden, we have another kingdom coming up against King Asa. And the way that he deals with this is he goes off to the altar of the Lord and he takes all the gold and silver from there and he bribes some Assyrian mercenaries to come and help him to fight against this kingdom. And that is when God decides to send a prophet to rebuke this king because this prophet points out that he has actually been relying on gold and silver and Assyrian mercenaries before turning to God. You know, many of us would think, well, wasn't Asa just being a good steward of his resources? Wasn't he just using what he had to make a plan? And the answer is no. He had changed from relying on God, as he did when the Ethiopians came up against him, to now relying on his money, on the gold and silver, which he'd stolen from the altar of the Lord. And he was using it to, to bribe the Assyrian mercenaries. And don't you, can't you see that that's the attitude of our age as well? We want to take things into our own hands because we don't want to rely on anything or anyone. We want our independence, even if it's independence from God. And I think one of the reasons why we want this independence so badly is it sells us the comforting illusion that we are the ones that are in control. And we know that we are not. God's goodness also should fuel us to rely on him more. It should never drive us to go off and do our own thing. If you think of King Asa, who was he? He was a king that should have died in a battle long ago. He was outnumbered three to one by those Ethiopians. And in his distress, he cries out to God and miraculously he is saved. If you just think like maybe if King Asa had thought back to how good God had been in the past, maybe he would have chosen things differently. And so the prophet points this out as well to King Asa. In chapter 16, verse 8, he says, Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. And that is the situation which we find our verse for tonight. Chapter 16, verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you shall have wars. And so this prophet says to King Asa, You've done such a dumb thing. Don't you remember how good God was to you in the past? And yet you changed. Why would you change a winning formula? And you'd think that at this point, maybe King Asa would snap to his senses, realize that he's done something wrong, repent, turn back to God and start relying on him. But that's not at all what we see. Instead, this king gets angry with the prophet and he gets bitter. He says, who are you to tell me, the king, what to do? I don't acknowledge you. And he takes the prophet and he throws him in prison. And he begins to torture people around the city because he's so angry. Later on in verse 12, we are told that King Asa develops a disease in his feet. And as I was preparing for this, this message, I thought it's almost like God is trying to get this king's attention. He goes and he gives him a disease in, in his feet. And I'm sure if you'd just rely on God, God would heal him. But again, he, he doesn't rely on God. Instead, he, it says that he sought the finest physicians in the land. And he refused to speak to God in his final days of his life. And soon after this, we see that King Asa dies. And that is the sad story of King Asa. 
He was a king who, who had so much promise. And yet because he stopped relying on God, God stopped using him. And I think this should serve as a warning to, to all of us. Because it shows just how prone we are to make the same mistakes as King Asa did. Because it's not always during the tough times that we tend to falter and drift away from God. And I know because I see these tendencies in my own life as well. Where sometimes during the really tough times in life, we draw closer to God. And the reason why is because we see our incredible need for Christ. And so we go and we just, we help, we want Christ to shoulder our burdens and we get him to help us. But sometimes it's during those 35 years of peace afterwards where we begin to take the reins out of God's hands. And we look back and we start thinking that we were the ones that did it. We don't want to do that. We shouldn't rely on God just until we get what we want from him and then ditch him. We want to finish strongly, especially after God has carried us through trial after trial after trial. So that is our first king. The second king that we are going to be looking at is a much more well-known king. And his name is King Hezekiah. You can find his story in 2 Kings chapter 19. King Hezekiah was a, a, also a good king of Judah, but he managed to rely on God right to the very end. He never stopped. And during his reign, an Assyrian king comes up against King Hezekiah with a massive army, and they begin to siege Jerusalem, which was always a very scary time. What a siege was in those times is <clears throat> they would... They would surround your entire city and they would cut off all forms of food coming into the city and then they would begin to poison the water supplies going in. So little by little, they would just wait you out until you were too weak to fight for yourselves. And there are even stories of women eating their own children because they were so starving in these times. So an incredibly scary time. And when King Hezekiah receives this news, I want you to uh, notice very carefully how he responds. 2 Kings chapter 19 verse 14. It says, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and he read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and he spread it before the Lord. Do you notice the two differences? So first king, King Asa, kingdom comes up against him. He goes to the altar of the Lord. He takes the gold and silver out of God's house, bribes the Syrian mercenaries. He's relying on man all the way. Didn't work. King Hezekiah goes and he, he receives the bad news and he takes it to God and he says, God, you are absolutely sovereign. You are over this case. You are the reason why their hearts are beating outside of, that, outside of our city. And what is the result of King Hezekiah relying on God in such a radical fashion? In verse 35, it says, And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. And so incredibly, God comes and he ends a, a war between two nations using one angel just because King Hezekiah relied on the Lord. Was Hezekiah anxious and afraid? Absolutely. Was he unsure of what was about to happen? Yes. There was no way that he could have known that he was going to pray to God and that the war was going to end that night. But he still, he was in, he, he had made it a pattern in his life. So whenever there were problems, he would go straight to God in prayer, and he would rely on God through prayer. Later on in King Hezekiah's life, he also had health issues. Remember our first king, King Asa, had a disease in his feet and he couldn't walk? King Hezekiah also had health issues later on in his life. He, he became sick one day, and a prophet walked into his palace, and he said, King Hezekiah, set your house right, for you are about to die. Very scary thing to be told when the prophets are always right. 
That is the same as one of us being told that we've got cancer and over only a few months left to live. It's a very scary place to be. And King Hezekiah doesn't go and take the prophet who has told him this and put him in prison and begin torturing him because he's not happy with the news. Instead he goes and we are told that he turns towards the wall and he begins to pray. And he begs God, please give me more time. Extend my days, extend my life. And God in his mercy decides to give King Hezekiah another 15 years to live. King Hezekiah relied on, on the Lord for his whole life. And he never regretted it. And as we've seen, God has a reputation of saving his people from so many different situations that they tend to find themselves in. The Bible is laced with story after story of God, of God's loving faithfulness and his kindness that he shows towards his people because he loves us so much. But why is this relevant in our day and age? Because as I'm sure you guys have noticed, we don't have a group of Assyrians or Babylonians that are sieging us. But we do have two other foes that we cannot overcome. And those two foes are sin and death. And even here, it is only Jesus Christ who holds victory in these areas. And we can see from his sinless life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection afterwards that he has overcome both sin and death. There is nothing that can stop him. And what this now does for us is it allows us to approach God's throne of grace with a boldness. Because now we know that when we trust in Jesus to cover our sins, we are spotless in his sight. Not because there's anything amazing about us, but because of everything that Christ has done for us. And so the first and most important thing that he calls, on us to, he calls us to rely on him for is our salvation, so that we are made acceptable in God's sight. Let's take another look at our verse that we started with. It is 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. And so we can see here that God is looking for people to strongly support, even still in our day and age. But one of the requirements that God is looking for is that we must have a blameless heart towards him. And the only way for our hearts to be blameless before God is if we are relying on him for our salvation. Then he will come and he will take our heart of stone away and he will replace it with a heart of flesh, which is truly blameless in the eyes of God. And so you cannot be strongly supported by God if you do not first know him and have a personal love relationship with him, if you are not uh, relying on his perfect life and sacrifice. But our walk with God doesn't just end in trusting God for salvation. And if I may, if I may say, if you are a Christian in the building and all you trust God for is your salvation, you are missing out on so much of this incredible love relationship that we get to have with our Savior because it goes so much deeper than that. He calls us to rely on him in every situation, not just to be saved. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Cast your anxieties upon him, for he cares for you. And so we serve a God who can relate to our struggles that we go through in life. And he calls us to, to rely on him, to cast our anxieties on him. Sometimes when we go and we speak to people about what's worrying us, we're worried that they won't really want to listen to us. We're worried that they can't do anything about the situation anyway. Sometimes they're just an ear to listen. And we're also worried that we are going to overburden them. But we never have to have that worry when we take our burdens to Christ. Now, don't you just love the imagery as well in that, in that verse? It says, cast your anxieties upon him, for he cares for you. This verse was written by Peter. And Peter used to be a fisherman. And so you can just imagine Peter the fisherman taking his nets and without a care in the world, 
hurling it overboard. And that is the exact same language that he uses here. He is calling us to take our worries and, and just like that, in the same way, without a care in the world, casting our anxieties upon Christ because we know that he cares for us. And we all have these moments of anxiety and fear where we don't know what's going to happen, but we can always take our, our, our troubles to God. Throughout scripture, he goes and he urges us to rely on him and to bring whatever's worrying, worrying us straight to him. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Just think of that, the peace of God. So the same peace that God has while he's sitting on his throne, and he's absolutely sovereign over every single thing that's happening right now. He says, you can have that. And how do we have that? By taking our, our anxieties and just giving them over to him, trusting him with thanksgiving, knowing that God is going to do something about them. And that is exactly what King Hezekiah did as well. When he received the bad news, he didn't take it to his room and start stressing about it and worrying about it because that wouldn't have solved anything. Instead, he always used prayer as his first line of defense rather than a last resort. Took it straight to God every time. So relying on God, how do we practically apply this to our lives? I've got three points here um, just to help us practically apply these points uh, to our lives. And the first point is this. We need to rely fully on Christ for our salvation. And that means uh, knowing where we're going to go one day. And that is if you are in the building tonight and you don't yet know Jesus as your personal savior, we are calling you to put your faith in him. He is the only one that you should be relying on. I believe it was Charles Spurgeon said, why would you rely on a broken reed when you can rather choose to rely on the rock of ages? There is nothing else that will save you. Not your church attendance, even on the 29th of December when there's hardly anybody here. It's not your parents' uh, faith. It's not your friends. It's not good works. None of us are good. It is only relying on what Jesus did for you. His perfect life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection afterwards. It's the only thing that will save you. But salvation is not the end of that relationship. It goes deeper than that. Which leads me to my second point, And that is we need to be relying on God in prayer. God encourages us to approach him with every issue that we have to face in this life through prayer. In the good times, we thank God and we praise him and we understand that every good and perfect gift that we have in our lives comes straight from the hand of God. And through the bad times, we press in and we ask God for the strength and for the endurance that we need to see it through. John Newton once said, the storms are guarded by the hands which were nailed to the cross. So let us never forget that he is our mediator. And Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16 echoes that perfectly. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. And so the one who we are relying on is not a distant God who doesn't hear your pleas or who doesn't love you. He is a God who has welcomed you home, who loves you so much that he opened his arms for you on the cross, even though it cost him his own life. And that is the God who we rely on and who we run to. And you see sometimes stories like that of King Hezekiah, where God goes and sends an angel and dramatically ends a war and kills 185,000 people. Sometimes that scares us because we see the magnitude of who God is and how almighty he is. But God is not just almighty. He's also intimate. He loves each of us in a personal way. And it is only in the person of Christ, the one who we do run to, that we see these two qualities perfectly balanced. 
because he is the Lion of Judah and yet also the Lamb who was slain for the sin of the world. And that is the one who we run to. That is the one who God calls us to rely on. My third and final point of application is that we need to be reading our Bibles. One of the best ways for us to know whether or not we should be relying on somebody is if we can just get a glimpse of their history and we can see if we should be relying on this person or not. And when you spend time in God's word, you will see just how faithful God has been to his people, how he's always been there for them and how he's always dragged them out of the worst of situations and how he's definitely a God that is worth relying on. Remember also when Jesus was being tested in the wilderness by Satan, how did, he con- how did he overcome each of those temptations? He didn't come with dramatic miracles then. Each time he said, it is written, it is written, it is written. And so if the word of God was good enough for Christ to rely on during his times of temptation, it is definitely good enough for us to do the same. But how will you ever know what is written unless you devote time and you sink your roots deep into the word of God so that you can know what is written. Now, as you know, we are two days away from ending 2019, and I think this would just be the perfect moment for you guys to take stock of where you are. Just think about the year. Has it been more of a King Asa year, where it started off really strong and things were going great, and somewhere along the way you started just sliding away from God, or slowly you started taking the reins back into your own hands and thinking that you've done it? Or has it been more of a King Asa year, Oh, sorry, King Hezekiah year, where throughout the year you have relied on God and you've seen him at work and you've seen God's hand over you and you've been used by him. You've reached the people at your schools, or at your work. Which, which one of those would you prefer? I mean, we've learned from our verse today that God is looking for people to strongly support and that hasn't changed. So if you can just imagine Jesus walking up and down these aisles looking, I want to strongly support you. I want to strongly support you. Would you not want to be that person? where you put up your hand and you say, God, I am giving my all to you next year. I want to rely on you through the good times, through the bad times. I want to be like King Hezekiah. And I want to rely on you right to the very end. And for you guys especially, high schoolers, you can wake up. (laughs) For you guys, I just want to say, just watch very carefully that you also don't become like King Asa in your your faith after something like holiday, um, not holiday club, sorry, summer camp. I know a lot of you guys are absolutely on fire for God, then make sure that that is sort of the benchmark. Don't fluctuate and slowly go down less and less. Let that be the standard that was set and constantly grow stronger and stronger in your walk with God. 